Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. How far away are we from Connor McDavid just running around the ice like the Roomba that screams? <laughs> That's the hardest I've ever seen you laugh, and I really try hard to make jokes on this show, but the hardest Brad has ever laughed when uh, I showed him is when I showed him a video of a uh, YouTuber who hacked a Roomba to just scream obscenities when it bumps into stuff. (laughs) Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Uh, We are not a Roomba screaming fanatic podcast. We are a Detroit Red Wings podcast, hockey podcast. You don't define me. NHL podcast. And we are a podcast that is ahead of the news this time because the Ken Holland news came out mere hours before we started recording. This never happens. No, it was the opposite for Eisenman. Technically, we broke the news to someone today. It was cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, poor Max. <laughs> Poor Max, the first thing he did, because he's been on his Game of Thrones binge, was talk to us. Uh, and as we were chatting before the show, we were like, oh yeah, by the way, the Holland news was confirmed. And he went, oh, wait, really? <laughs> <laughs> Call you right back. Yeah. You might have to write something. <laughs> yeah. This is important. Uh, so we talk, We uh, chatted with Max Boltman of The Athletic, and that's what we'll open with here. Uh, so tune into that interview now, and we'll be, we'll be back after to break it all down. Max Boltman, everyone. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. In our best-timed episode ever, we have Max Boltman, arisen from his slumber, who is officially caught up on Game of Thrones. <laughs> Max, thank you so much for joining us this uh, morning. Yeah, my pleasure. It's, it is definitely morning. So the, bi- <laughs> <laughs> the biggest news of the day is you just crushed seven-plus seasons of Game of Thrones in how many days? Be honest here. Like 25 days. Oh. <laughs> your soul. Your poor soul right now. Max just is... Yesterday seen. I did... Uh, I did. I think I did like 10 episodes yesterday to get caught up. It was... I, I had my girlfriend's brother's graduation. And then we came home and we watched it nonstop from like 3 p.m. to 4 a.m. Oh, my God. You know, Max, we, we, I've been uh, putting together some stuff to send your way. Uh, but I'm going to throw that all in the box and just send you a broadsword now. I feel like you'd have more use for that. <laughs> yeah, as long as it's made of dragon glass, it's all good. Oh, a whole broad... Oh, man. No, it's Valyrian steel. Uh, We're running on a podcast budget here, Mac. <laughs> <laughs> so, not a little bit of news for you to wake up to. Uh, we're going to start with the, the big one. Um, Ken Holland. You know, nothing is in writing yet, but all but confirmed that he will be joining the Edmonton Oilers as their new general manager. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things that I think, you know, everyone who watched that press conference, I think, had to had to wonder how long that senior VP role was going to last for him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he 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 did what kind of had to be done, and he he definitely, you know, put the the organization before himself in making that move. But but after that, then you kind of wondered, you know, is he going to wait for for the perfect opportunity or the first opportunity? I think there was a report that day even that he had taken himself out of the running for the Edmonton job um, and something must have changed since then um, obviously there's you know there's plenty of attractive things about managing Connor McDavid and uh, mm-hmm. sounds like that's a pretty good offer that was on the on the table from what's being reported so it, it's not altogether stunning but but maybe the the how quick it happened is a little surprising well to my knowledge it was Nicholson who essentially circled he the first time he spoke to Holland was uh within the last week of Holland's tenure as GM. 
And that conversation apparently was a conversation about what Holland's role was. So reading between the lines saying, I'm going to be, you know, stepping aside for Stevie, but I want to take some time. Like, I don't want to jump into anything right away. And then when Nicholson circled back earlier this week is when he dropped the mega five million per year times five years offer to him. And, And when I was talking about it, online I was saying like I don't really see it Holland jumping into this it's a little bit of a convoluted situation with a lot of the same pressures as he had in Detroit unless they offered him a lucrative contract and here we are yeah that's just an admiral yeah exactly yeah (laughs) so in terms of fit you know we've been privy to a lot of Ken Holland's moves um, for the last however long you've been watching hockey because he certainly outpaces that Um, where do you see optimal fit just from a uh, uh a bystander's point of view. Is this kind of his ideal situation or would there have been another situation that you thought would have worked better for Holland? Well, I, I think Seattle would have been really probably the, the ideal fit because he could have really built it from the ground up. But the one thing I will say that you, you see in alignment in, in this situation is one of the complaints that you heard toward the back half of the season, once the Oilers started kind of cleaning house, they felt they didn't have kind of the the culture, so to speak. I know that word drives people crazy, but if there is a word that like Ken Holland can can certainly like unquestioned credentials on it, it is on that. Like he'll walk in and and you you know you guys know how how he'll manage kind of young players and and maybe that's something that Edmonton feels like didn't didn't go how it needed to over the last five or so years. They have the best play, hockey player in the game. And uh, and then you see to put things around him. He's starting from a pretty good place, and he's going to have a high draft pick and a couple of really good prospects. Maybe they feel like the way that those guys get brought along, the way that those assets get get managed to structure that, um, are, are in his wheelhouse. Certainly, I think there are parts of that that he can do a pretty good job on. Um, but I would have kind of liked to see what he would have done, in, you know, in in sort of the George McPhee chair from a couple of years ago, getting to start from scratch, getting to look at all the organizations and see who's the one player I want from there, or, or can I can I swing a deal? Um, I would have loved to watch Ken Holland do that, but but I think there there is some fit. I, I just think you know there was there was another one that I was really <laughs> kind of anxious to see how he would have handled. So, my favorite part about this all is probably going to was well has been the Edmonton social media reaction because um, their fans are are not happy right now. Um, mm. Do you – because the, the thing with Ken Holland that we've seen as with the Red Wings forever is when he was trying to take a mediocre team and keep them struggling along to eighth place every year, that's when he really tanked the team with a lot of bad contracts. That's when the Nielsen, Helm, Abdelkader contracts had. But when he's in earnest started a rebuild on the team, he did a fantastic job of – um, acquiring picks, uh, acquiring prospects, and, and really building up the youth of the Red Wings, even though he was still saddled with all these bad contracts. If you talk to Edmonton fans right now, half of the fan base is on the fence of, we need to be good right now because we have Connor McDavid, and the other half saying, no, 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 we need to rebuild again because this is a disaster. So given that Holland did really well at one thing, not so great at the other, what do you think is going to happen there now? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I mean... I don't know if you can ever go into a full rebuild when you have the kind of guys that Edmonton has. Like you're not tearing it down with with uh, McDavid making that kind of money, Drysaitel on that kind of contract. I mean, Milan Lucic is the contract that you look there and you're like, yikes! I don't know what to do about that. Maybe Sakara on defense, but um, yeah, I mean, I I think it will be interesting to see how he approaches it. I, 
I think there is talent in that organization. Well, certainly when you look at, at Pugliarvi, who hasn't maybe been what people want him to be yet. Um, when you look at Kyler Yamamoto's entry-level contract, um, like, like it'll be interesting to see how he handles those guys. I don't think this is like a completely like tear it all down situation though. Like it's, it's, it might even be a little harder to do this, this type of rebuild where, you know, your main assets, you can't, there's nothing you can really do around those guys. So maybe there's a Nugent Hopkins trade, Nugent Hopkins trade or something, but um, I would not expect them to go full, you know, bottom out here. That would not be my, my guess. Yeah. And when we were talking about optimal fit, any GM who's going to walk into the best player in the world who hasn't even entered his prime yet and a second 100-point center. I, they're right. laughing if anyone's going to say that's going to be, you know, an incredibly difficult situation. Uh, but you know, there is going to be a lot of scrutiny here, and, and we were chatting before we started recording. Um, I believe it was Gord Miller tweeted out that uh, someone had warned Holland that the situation in um, Edmonton is incredibly toxic and social media can kill you there. And Holland's response was, I'm not on social media, which was hilarious. And we all know full well that Holland doesn't give a damn. You know, he's going to do what he thinks is best and people will react and he'll take that in stride. But is there some merit to the fact that Holland shouldn't underestimate how delicate this situation is over there? Like, you know, Peter Shirelli was loved by the Edmonton Brass to start. Uh, a lot of the guys over in Edmonton that have been pushed out were loved by the Edmonton Brass. And the fan base is, is very, very uh, vocal about this old boys club that they perceive to be there and, and how they don't want it to happen. And, and with the way Holland was brought on, is there some risk for this to be, you know, a really... <sighs> what I'm trying to say is, is this a huge risk for, for Bob Nicholson to make a hire this way that seems to be in line with that old boys club mentality? Maybe, but you know, assuming that Holland is getting the autonomy that that I think I saw he was asking for, like I, I, he has used Edmonton as kind of a like whether he said it or not, you can almost tell he's been alluding to it over the years when he talks about the dangers of of spending too long out of contention, right? Like mm. I think he, I think he's going to be kind of in opposition to the way that things have been done around there. People might perceive him to be kind of just because he is that quote-unquote hockey man, um, they might perceive him to kind of be in that mold. But I think that the way that he's going to approach things is going to have a, a difference um, to it. Now, maybe he tries to get him to, to the playoffs with a little more um, gusto than than some people would like who, who want the retool, who, who think they need you know, the picks. I mean, it's a great, you know, it's, it's looking like a pretty good top few guys already emerging from that 2020 class. Um, but I don't know that you can ever plan on, on having your heart set on one of those two or three guys. You, you saw this year with, you know, the Ottawa was like the surest thing in the league to finish in the bottom, and they still didn't manage to get one of those top two guys. So if, if you're in May or June or July thinking about that, like, which Ken Holland I don't think will be, uh, then you're in trouble. So I, I, I think that, you know, he, he is definitely walking into more of a powder keg than somehow than he was leaving behind here. Um, but he'll have you know, at least those first couple of years where he has that kind of uh, that free pass that all new executives seem to get. So the important question now that that's relevant to everyone, um, the first, and, and this is credit to you for thinking this, what's the first move that Ken Holland makes with Steve Eisman? I know. I can't wait to find out. Like it's, uh, It seems like the MO in Edmonton has been trade whatever it takes to get a defenseman, but Detroit doesn't really have one of those to move unless – 
Danny DeKaiser is really That's what I think it is. I think it's going to be Danny DeKaiser. If it's going to happen, I think Holland loves Danny DeKaiser, and I don't think Eisenman would hesitate to move out a contract that big. I think it'll be like like in Tampa. Obviously not on this scale, but like, didn't Eisenman just like know that Holland really liked Kyle Quincy? Yeah. And so he facilitated that three-way deal with Colorado. <laughs> so because everyone knows what everybody likes, maybe maybe there's a player that in the Red Wings organization that, you know, when, when they were meeting in the last three weeks, Eisenman expressed like a really strong fondness for and Eisenman in his head was kind of like, oh, I don't know about that. And now that they're on different organizations, Eisenman can call him about that guy, you know, in a week. And say, hey, you still like that guy? It's going to be a package deal. He's going to send Darren Helm back home to Alberta, and he's going to give him Danny DeKaiser. Oh. That's what it's going to be. Darren Helm. That actually might be it. Yeah. That might be it. <laughs> Darren Helm, Danny DeKaiser, and one of the Red Wings' excess second-round picks for Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Make it happen, Stevie. <laughs> I bet it is Darren Helm. That makes all the sense in the world. <laughs> Honestly, like he's heading into that phase of his career where he's trying to make himself as useful as he can in adapting to his play slowing down. He's from Alberta. Holland loves him. And there's going to be a, presumably a lot of guys going over with Holland. We'll talk about that. I don't know, man. That might, <laughs> that might honestly be it. But here's the thing with Tar- Darren Helm's trade value. If Steve Eisenman sends him to Edmonton for like a conditional fifth, how bad does it make Holland look that a guy he gave that much money to gets like a conditional fifth? You don't do it for a fifth, though. What you do is you eat half of the money like mm-hmm. this year or like for the next two years, and then Darren Helm on a $1.9 million contract gives Edmonton a competitor, somebody with playoff experience, somebody who can play center or wing on their like third line, which that is not a very deep forward group at all. Um, and then you get back, like, I don't know, whatever the asset is, it, like you're because the Revings have so many young guys on who are going to be on ELCs. Like it doesn't matter that you're eating that mm-hmm. um, as long as the asset's good enough. Like, I mean, I'm, I don't know. I'm, we're, we're completely speculating here. Like oh, yeah. there's absolutely nothing to this, but I, I could see a way that it makes sense. Uh, on the note of speculation, when Holland goes over, there is presumed to be a small to maybe significant exodus of uh, staff, as tends to happen with big shifts like this. Yeah. Um, over the weekend, or just or on Friday, Bob McKenzie um, casually confirmed that Verbeek was coming over to Detroit. Um, Ryan Martin, Tyler Wright, head of amateur or director of amateur scouting for Detroit. Uh, Danny Cleary, Chris Draper, those are all guys who are rumored to maybe be linked to Holland if he moves. What's your take on that? Or is there any read on who might go over uh, with Holland if he goes? No, and that'll be something to watch in the next few days. I would be surprised if Ryan Martin left. Um, Eisenman tried to bring him to Tampa um, five or eight years ago, however long it was. Um, and I would think that that he would want to keep him in Detroit. And th- there's a difference there and like well you know martin chose to be with holland last time but really that he was choosing to stay where everything was like he's also very involved in the usa hockey organization which is in plymouth right up the road and i think there's a lot of reasons for ryan martin to stay i would be surprised if he left um i don't know what to make of some of the other ones though like i, I don't know what would become of tyler wright if he would rather be uh, like obviously that's closer to his house he lives in i think vernon british columbia mm-hmm. um Oh, sorry. I just said stones throw away. 
You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So it's uh, not actually, but closer, more of a stone throw than Detroit, right? Like, <laughs> um, so I don't know. It'll, it'll be interesting. Like I, I would be surprised if, if Martin left. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I mean, there's going to be some kind of departure. There always is. Um, and and then maybe we'll see how that how that shakes out with who Eisman wants to bring in. Like Verbeek doesn't really fit the um, amateur scouting director mold. He's been a pro scout as far as I'm aware, but but who knows what kind of things he wants to be doing? Does he want to be in kind of that more um, close advisor to the GM role? Um, that's something like what Draper does. But I I think Red Wings try to keep Draper. Like he's he's a sharp guy, and he's uh, he was instrumental in the Tyler Bertuzzi draft. I think he. He seems to have a good uh, beat on on the amateur players for sure, so it'll be interesting to see who they bring. Um, yeah, I think a lot of who's going to leave for Edmonton might rely on or wait on who Eisman's going to bring in from Tampa Bay because you can only have so many cooks in the kitchen, right? So, did Stevie give a timeline on any sort of plans for who he's bringing? Because we know Mackenzie said Verbeek's coming, but we don't have a timeline on that yet, and. It's been rumored that uh, Murray, the head of amateur scouting for Tampa, has an out clause to come with Eisenman, but we've not heard anything of that. Is it? Is there any rumors about who might be coming that will impact who goes to Edmonton then? Well, so the Murray out clause thing, one of our um, reporters reported that, and there were the wording that he reported, let me try and find the story, because it was something like an out clause like this summer, like, and I, I don't, you know, obviously you could call right now this summer, or you could think of it as like post draft, which for an amateur scouting director would make a lot of sense. Like if you, if you think about it, if you're the, um, the, you know, running the draft and you have an out clause, it would make all the sense in the world for the team to kind of insulate itself against you leaving, you know, June 10th and then scrambling to figure out like, (laughs) Oh crap, are we still going to rely on this board? All that stuff. Um, I'm actually really curious to see if that if, if if Tyler Wright is one of the guys who who Holland wants to bring to Edmonton. Um, I mean, is that the kind of move that uh, that affects their draft, like one way or the other? Um, that's really interesting. Yeah, and you know what, they are operating within Edmonton and Detroit. That is, they are operating pretty closely to each other, so the picks will in effect, be relevant to one another. I'm not sure how much of this translates. I think you're right in that best practice. You don't want your director of amateur scouting leaving 15 days before the, the draft. But in a move like this, it's kind of, I would imagine, you know, ownership would just look and say, well, what can you do, you know? Um, what I've heard about the the Al Murray thing is that his clause would be similar to Verbeek's and it's tied to Iserman. I'm not sure. Um, I think what you're right in that it would be smart if they insulated against it. Um, one thing to consider though is with these jumps from like one position to the same position somewhere else outside of a, a, a big increase in pay what incentive would people have to move from you know Detroit to Edmonton if they hate the cold they're going to have a hard time justifying that move so there, there has to be some kind of incentive there working for them well it's they already have the hardest piece to acquire which is the best player in the league like yeah, you know, there's there's got to be a thrill to building around that. You know, like like Connor McDavid, the guy who you know I don't I don't I wouldn't play him 26 minutes a night just because you want to maximize the the minutes you're getting out of somebody like that. But but you could and and in the meantime, like you have guys like Leon Drysaddle, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. If if Jesse Pugliarvi can put it all together, like all of a sudden you have this massively skilled um, 
you know, headlining core of players. And, and I think the draw is it's, it's a different challenge than the one in Detroit where they're kind of trying to build this team up who doesn't maybe have, like, I, I think Dylan Larkin is a star, but not, not on that Connor McDavid level. Like, you, like you're trying to build um, a team that, that can do almost more in like the, you know, Vegas mold, or maybe I even would struggle to say Bruin because I think Patrice Bergeron and uh, David Pasternak, you know, Brad Marchand, all those guys are uh, are probably better than in terms of the you know, sheer scoring talent and all that stuff. Like, I don't know. So it's it's a different challenge, and and that's probably the draw of it. Now, there's going to be plenty on Holland and how this relates to Eisenman in the coming weeks. And, of course, we'll, we'll be chatting with you plenty about that. Uh, let's get to the real big news from the past week. The Pavel Datsuk rumors. Yes. So, I'm sure everyone has heard at this point the same kind of rumors that float around year after year of Datsuk considering a return to Detroit. Um, to our knowledge and from what you said, uh, what you mentioned to us, a lot of this has been kind of blown out of proportion. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you never know, but but yeah, like when I when I checked in about it, um, my my impression that I got was this is legitimately a, a coincidence. The timing of the letter and, and his visit to Detroit, and like it's it's going to be a discussion item when they meet, or maybe they've already met. Like if it came in on Thursday or Friday. Um, but I, I didn't get the sense that he was like flying in to discuss this. And I think when, when those rumors started happening, I think that was the way that it got taken, um, was that like, you know, this is a, a major agenda item that he's coming into Detroit for the, the reality is he's coming into, or he came into Detroit for vacation with his family. Cause I, I don't think his kids or at least his younger kids have really spent much time here since he left. Um, he's got two young kids and, and I think they wanted to kind of see, where their dad spent a lot of his adult life. Um, and then the timing of that with that, you know, <laughs> what was to us like a 2 a.m. Instagram post or whatever it was, um, I think made it, made the news cycle go a little haywire there in terms of just how, how, how fast things seemed to be happening. But really that was just, you know, the July 1 of Russia where, you know, hey, my contract is up and I'm not renewing it. I, I want to thank the fans. Um, also, I'm boarding a plane tomorrow. But that the plane boarding timing was not uh i don't as far as i can tell was not purposeful so what what the agent told me is is there a chance there's always a chance um that's usually not the the kind of strong language that i associate with something that's uh that's impending that sounds like negotiating tactics to get his next contract in russia uh have a few more dollars added to it it could be that, although, you know, when I called him and he wasn't like, usually if it was a negotiating ploy, he probably would have been, uh, you know, making that out even though it sounded a little more plausible than, than at least I, at least I took away from it. Like, I didn't get the sense it's off the table by any means, but I also didn't get the sense he was like pushing it at me. You know what I mean? Like, so it's not going to hurt his negotiations, though, I'll say that. From a purely like nonsensical, don't consider the cap or the future any normal hockey consideration situation, that would be the biggest driver of uh, butts and seats for home opening since Steve Eisman came home to Detroit, right? <laughs> yeah, but I kind of wonder like how well would it go? Like even like I know like cap wise and stuff, there's all those considerations, but like I don't know, it's almost like don't you want to just freeze a player like that in time if you can? Like isn't it harder to watch a 
a guy like that who can't do the the whole magic man routine. Yeah, yeah, I, I know what you mean. I haven't watched him in the K, and so I'm I'm kind of just remembering him how he was at like the age of like thirty six or thirty seven. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you want to see Pavel Datsuk struggle. Like, I think a, a guy who has that kind of reputation. The only the only thing that I think would be nice is to have, you know, if you're him, like get to, get to go out on that more positive feeling um just because of the way that things ended it wasn't like bloody or anything like that but it wasn't like you know befitting kind of his stature in the organization the way things ended with him so that could that's like the thing that i could i could see as being a kind of a net positive but i don't know i don't know if you want to see pebble that's struggle i think you want to freeze that that uh memory of him exactly where he was when you know when he was still doing a point per game routine but the Red Wings are the organization that's big on having the veteran talent mentor the youth, right. and when and when they bring in a Thomas Vanek, I I can't but help but get a, a feeling of BS in the back of my head uh, as I watch Thomas Vanek continually throw behind the back passes into traffic. But if there's a player out there who I actually want mentoring the Philip Zadinas of the world, it, it's probably Pavel Datsuk. Yeah, and I actually think he'd be really good with with Zadina like that. You know, in in terms of that sense, like. You know, it's possible that Zena could play on his wing, and you know, who knows, like how that looks. But um, yeah, in the locker room, getting mentored by a guy like that—that's not a bad thing, that's for sure. But it's, uh, yeah, you, I mean, you make a good point that if it's it's going to be someone, if it's going to be someone doing that job, it might as well be a guy that everybody loves and who has that that kind of track record. Um, but you know, also there's the thing that's like it's you know it's going to be a one year, presumably it would be a one year thing if it happened, and I don't know. I mean, I'm certainly not going to say it's not possible. I just, I don't, I don't know, know that I really see how it makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, logic gets in the way of fun quite a bit, and that's why we have this podcast. Max, <laughs> uh, thanks so much for uh, doing this first thing in the morning. Um, we know you have some uh, words to write, probably four thousand or so. So we'll leave you to it. Max Butler oh, of the Athletic, everyone. Uh, if you don't, he puts out phenomenal stuff on there, and I imagine there's going to be a Holland article soon. So <laughs> head over. Yeah, if it goes, if it if it gets confirmed, that is what I will do. Yeah. All right, Max. Have a good one. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Welcome back to the Winged Wheel Podcast. We have uh, another special guest here, Evan Lobsinger. Evan, what'd you shoot today? Well, let's just say we should put a bag over that round because it was ugly. <laughs> so good interview with Max. Um, a lot of. Yeah, a lot of media stuff to talk about. Poor guy, you know, first thing that you do is, is, is break all that down. Um, let's do Ken Holland here. Uh, I'm that, not doing Ken. No. You can do him. Well, Edmonton's going to be the one do, one's doing him now. Um, I was I was talking, you know, this, this has been the topic of discussion for a while because as Edmonton's interviews for their GM role has been, have been rounding down, news circulated of, of Nicholson circling back to Ken Holland, who didn't interview, mind you. And uh, what I said was, from every indication, I don't see Ken doing this. Um, it doesn't seem like he's terribly interested. Um, and with the amount of control that he's going to want and Nicholson presumably doesn't want to give, uh, I just don't see it being a fit. Every I'm, man has their price. And this I, time it's $25 million. And Yeah, and that's what I said. Unless he has offered full control and a lucrative amount of money. And boy, is $25 million <laughs> for GM. He definitely has at least one of those. Oh, boy. Uh, he, he definitely has both. I don't see him leaving without either. $25 million over five years. First of all... And Connor McDavid. It's, it's important to say, good for you, Ken. 
you deserve the, the opportunity to do this and genuinely like genuinely genuinely I, I wish him the best of luck i wish him all the success that he can have there i thought red wings fans on social media were pathetic but the edmonton fans are are definitely competing how you should how so? oh man have you read some of the twitter comments about them getting ken holland yeah they're not happy your last general manager was peter shrelly you should be happy that anybody <laughs> wants to do that job and you got probably the best candidate that you could possibly get well, by pedigree, yes, I'll agree. Yeah. But, okay, I, I'm going to qualify this by saying, through the darkest of times, we have never looked at what Ken Holland did and said, we're Peter Shirelli bad, we're Pierre Dorian bad. We're, like, it was never that bad. But for Edmonton Oilers fans who look at the last decade, let's give it a decade, which is a generous amount to be putting on a resume of, of moves, Ken Holland does not make a compelling argument in my mind, to save that team. Well, he's been in this situation before, minus having a Connor McDavid. He's a lot. He's had a lot of bad contracts for the Red Wings, so he he should be adept at handling this situation. That's my thing, and I tend to agree with what Max said. If you're a team that has Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl under contract, and even Ryan Jean Hopkins at a good contract. You can't go into full rebuild. I, I agree with that. Oh, 100%. Even though I think, honestly, that's probably the best course of action for Edmonton long term. They might be you, doing it to themselves anyway. Yeah, but you can't you can't do it. Here's the thing. If they were going into full rebuild mode, I would argue Ken Holland is absolutely the right guy for this job. Because since the Red Wings playoff streak ended, Holland's done a fantastic job of acquiring picks, prospects, Building for the future in Detroit. No Red Wings fan is sitting here right now looking at this team four years down the road and going, we're screwed. We got Valeno. We got Chalosky. We got Hirona coming. We've got Zadina. Um, countless other young players. Uh, Mantha Bertuzzi, Athanasiu Larkin, all under the age of 25. Nobody's sitting here and saying we're screwed. We got money coming off the books at the right time to putting money back on. Exactly. But here's the thing. Edmonton's closer to the position of the Red Wings in 2012, where they have almost nothing to work with. Don't get me wrong, the their their top three centers are really big pieces, but they have almost literally nothing outside of them. Um, so Holland now has to go back into the mode of acquiring talent, ideally veteran talent, because teams aren't giving up their young guys. And honestly, between um, Puglia Yarvi and Yamamoto and Evan Bouchard and whoever they take in this draft, they're not exactly hurting for young talent. And Ken Holland's track record of trying to acquire guys to play on the second and third lines uh, is not good. So he's arguably been one of the worst GMs in the world at that. And this is coming from a guy who's been a staunch Ken Holland supporter for the longest time. This is not the role for Ken Holland to thrive in. I think I think the problem, one of the problems for Ken Holland was keeping the streak alive. I think that was more so an Illich thing that he kind of had to just go with because um, the the air cold trade is looking real bad right now. Um, so, I mean, time will tell how good Ken Holland is, no. is in this in this position. I, 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 as an Edmonton fan, I would not be upset. It's you better are, than what you have. It's an upgrade. Oh, absolutely. It's I, an upgrade. And it's someone from outside the organization, although he is used to being part of a boys' club. And he does have connections to Nicholson through Hockey Canada. Yes, but still, like the amount of just of people who are just butthurt is obscene. Well, okay, so I'm actually going to I mean I'm going to say 
Ken Hall, this situation isn't black and white, and we can't just directly transpose what happened in Detroit no. onto Edmonton. There's different not. context, and also nothing happens the exact same way every time. And as to offer this up as a maybe a silver lining for Edmonton fans who are upset, you look at the moves Ken Holland's been making. I mean, after he locked himself out of being able to make more bad moves, he has been doing little bits here and there correctly, and he did show a willingness to change the way he manages. Admittedly, that didn't inspire a lot of confidence in me. I thought it was happening too slowly and it was too little too late. But if he continues that trend and carries that over into Edmonton, the guy's smart. And the guy, if if he's willing to do so, will learn from how how the game has changed and how to manage that. And he demonstrated a little bit of that in the time he had in Detroit. If he continues that in Edmonton, this could go really well. You don't last that long in a performance position like that if you're not good at your job. No, but here's the thing, getting back to Ryan's point here. Over the last three years, I would give Ken Holland a very high grade on what he's done with Detroit. It's the five years before that where he absolutely bombed the Red Wings. And again, not that everything is identical, but those five years, that's the situation he's in now. He is not acquiring picks and prospects and moving out players who aren't working. He has to go back to his acquire phase, and that is where he struggled. Again, everything is... Obviously, I'm speaking in definitives here. Nothing is definitive. He might have learned from his lessons. He might adapt. He might take runs at, you know, more skilled players and or he might take the cautious, slow approach with Edmonton. We don't know. But if he his track record in circumstances similar to this is not great. So at the end of the day, I think what matters is Edmonton got... Yes, I would argue if you had to if you had to classify Ken Holland, that's more of the old boys club. Look at the way he was hired. Well, actually, I'm going to get to that in a second. They got a GM. Yes, does fit into the old boys club, um, but like bucket, but a very competent GM, one of the most connected guys in hockey management, a very, very, very successful history. He has a very he has a history of success. It's been some time. But considering all the options that were out there and considering the way if Bob Nicholson's making this hire, you know he wasn't going to go off the board and hire a Kyle Dubas type, right? That just was never going to happen. Considering the circumstances, I I would say, yeah, Edmonton fans who have their qualms should be free to voice them. They've, They've been through a lot, but I wouldn't be so quick to to tear it all down. You never know what the back background situation is like. I wouldn't I would never think Ken Holland would take this position if he was just going to jump through hoops and no. Be the, no. the guy who enacts the the moves based on what the old boys club says. I mean, no one I would for 25 million bucks, but he has the pedigree to to choose where he wants to go in his career, and I can't imagine he would take a position where he doesn't have almost 100% free reign. Not- now, there is a couple things where Ken Holland is very strong uh, with that Edmonton desperately needs. Now, I know we in Detroit often overrate it because it's been so good for so long, but culture. Ken Holland begs for a culture of winning. He expects it, and the culture in Edmonton right now is toxic. He's a big Migos fan, Ken Holland. Yeah. Ken Ho- or, <laughs> Connor McDavid looks like the hound. <laughs> after, the past, after this last season oh my god the way he carries his face he actually does yeah look at him when he like at the start of the last season then like his exit interviews like oh. the corners of his mouth are actually weighing his face down yeah. that's how unsmiley he is yeah <laughs> sorry keep going brad yeah so 
Ken Holland needs to fix that culture, and, and that's one of his strengths. And also, Edmonton's been the poster child for, here's how to not handle prospects. When you look at what's happened with Yamamoto yo-yoing between the AHL and the NHL, Pugliarvi yo-yoing between the NHL and the AHL to the point where it's they he almost demanded to trade this year. And then Evan Bouchard started in Edmonton last year and went down to juniors, yada, yada, yada. That was a team that needed patience with prospects, and hey, they got the GM who does it to a fault. So that's going to be a breath of fresh air for them, and I'm sure they're going to have a couple more good prospects coming in this year that are also going to be need needed to be handled this way. Uh, his RFA, his management of RFA signings is really, really, really good. Yeah, but I don't think he's got a lot of important ones coming up in Edmonton. No, and there's also an argument to be made players are willing to take those RFA deals because they know they're going to get paid out big when they're UFA years. I'm kidding. One thing but. I, one thing I want to say, Red Wings fans who are tearing this down, there's no point. I'm I we always preach, you know, like speaking facts, sp- like speak your opinion, you're allowed to differ, but I really really do think that Red Wings fans the majority of them have gotten what what they wanted, what we wanted. Um there's no point in tearing Holland down and laughing at this. The guy still wants to be a GM. He wants to take a shot. He is still a hero to Detroit sports. He should still get his statue in the arena. He'll still go in the Hockey Hall of Fame, and Detroit is still home to him, and that and that's an important thing. We can wax poetic about you know all the things that he did right or all the things that he did wrong, but at the end of the day, uh, tearing him down for making this move is not the move. It's, it's not what... You, you can wish him success or not, but, you know, um, looking at this from anything besides an objective analytical point, at this point, it's just kicking someone while you perceive them to be down. And honestly, he's excited. This is a great opportunity for him. The simple fact, and Evan mentioned this, you get to go G- be the GM of a team that has Connor McDavid. End of story. That's I said it. That? I don't remember that. Either way. It's yeah. true. I don't listen to much of what you say, so I just kind of assign stuff to Fair you. Fair enough. Um, so about the old boys club thing. The Edmonton Oilers interviewed a lot of GMs, or a lot of potential GMs, none of which were um, Ken Holland, funny enough. So I don't know all the names off the top of my head, but I know one of them was Sean Burke. And apparently Sean Burke put this fantastic presentation together. He did a really great job. And one of his things what his things were he wants total control. And one of his moves was he would clear house of the entire old boys club. He would destroy oh. the institution of, that was the Edmonton Oilers of the past and build this from the ground up. Thank you very much for uh, coming in for an interview. Uh, we'll get back to you. And that's pretty much <laughs> that's and it. Apparently, I think it was Mike Gillis was the name. Uh, that's been floated around and he said the same thing tear down the old boys club you know that he doesn't he this needs to be built from the ground up thanks for coming in uh and interviewing uh we'll get back to you there's there were yeah as paul coffee sitting in the room going they haven't figured out i don't actually have a job here yet (laughs) what is it that you do here the there's five i believe five at least candidates i wouldn't be surprised if it was more and a lot of them said the same things and they gave the job to a person who didn't interview and they gave the job to a candidate out of all of the the new age ones that they interviewed would be the least likely likely to come in and completely clean house. Ah, so they hired for job security. <laughs> I again, like, I uh, this is why I don't criticize Edmonton fans who are criticizing this based on the the look of it. They, they there was a lot coming out saying Edmonton wants to promote Keith Gretzky to full time GM. But they were afraid of the backlash. You can't operate like that. You can't. Fans are stupid. You never listen to the I fans. I don't think they'd be stupid about that. Oh, no, that would have been the right call. But if that's <laughs> a, 
it, it was the right call to not give the job to Gretzky. But if that's the reason why you didn't give it to him, that's stupid. If you're in the room when Boston traded away Sagan because he didn't fit your hockey culture, you don't get to be a GM anywhere. <laughs> I'm sorry. like That's just it, right? I'm... We'll never forget that video Oh, because man. I saw that video while Peter Shirley was still employed by a professional hockey league team. And that was, that was, oh, that was eye opening. You know, if I look at this as like a not, if you look at it without the information you have as a Red Wings fan, you would probably think it's a lot of same old, same old. Now that I think about it, if you see someone who's been part of, you know, essentially an old boys club and Edmonton's fans are screaming to get rid of like all the glut that they have with the old boys club. And in comes Ken Holland, the same exact type of person that you don't want in an organization. I can understand that, but Ken Holland isn't a five-year GM. He's, he's won Stanley cups and yeah, it's it's more nuanced than that. for sure. I know it is, but it's fun to look at it of going, we need to clear the old boys club and they get the oldest of boys. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It is. It is funny now that I think about it in an Edmonton Oilers perspective, but still, it's not a bad hire. The like. one, the one downside to this is, uh, I fo- for, I kind of like the others. So I've always I follow a lot of their writers and um, people who cover them. And the depressing part of today is everybody's just been shredding the Red Wings. This is what he built. This is your king. And it's just like charts of the Red Wings having five below replacement level defensemen and no. Second line center, and it's it's so sad. I think Ryan Rashog said something about like how Ken Holland was warned about how he'll get ripped up on social media when he oh, goes yeah. to Edmonton, and all Ken Holland said was, "I'm not on social media." Yeah, it's the like, right attitude. That to have. is the exact answer to have. Well, and you know what? You it is the right attitude, but we said it on our interview with Max. I really, really, really think he's under. He like that's one quote. That's not a direct source. But if that's that holds, he's really underestimating how much of a the powder keg Edmonton is right now. People will chirp Connor McDavid on the street because he didn't carry the team to a win. Oh yeah, there's there's people out there it's, who ask him to ask to trade McDavid because he doesn't have the leadership qualities required. Oh, you can sit on something. Oh man. So yeah, because and for the Red Wings fans listening who are in America right now. You do not understand what the Canadian hockey market is like. As as aggressive and boisterous as Red Wings fans can get, up north, it's worse. Edmonton Oilers fans are like Toronto fans dipped in oil. <laughs> <laughs> so they're angry and slippery? Yes. The, the important thing now for Red Wings fans, the actual substantial thing is, who's going with him? It's been reported that a lot of people expect Tyler Wright, Detroit's head uh, director of amateur scouting, would be going over with Ken Holland. That would open the door for, say, an Al Murray from Tampa Bay. And we haven't even talked about um, on Fridays. Uh, on Friday, Bob McKenzie, like thirty minutes into his podcast, like just kind of casually, in forty-five seconds, he dropped the fact that Pat Verbeek is coming to Detroit. It's pretty much a done deal. Uh, he expects an announcement soon. So Pat Verbeek, assistant GM in Tampa Bay with Steve Eisenman, and another person who's been credited with the huge success they've had there. Uh, he's been interviewing around for other GM jobs. Um, he didn't get any or didn't see a situation that he liked, and so now he's leaving to join Detroit. That is huge. Eisenman has so very clearly built a culture uh, well, I'm hesitant to use that word, has built a brain trust that is not only competent and successful, but believes in his vis- his vision. So for them to be joining him, 
that means a lot to Detroit. Now with Holland gone, this really is Eisman's team. Is the next step Al Murray coming over? Al Murray is uh, Tampa Bay's director of amateur scouting, and it's rumored that he would have an out clause similar to Pat Verbeek's. And if Tyler Wright goes, could Al Murray step right in? Al Murray, Braden Point, third round. Nikita Kucherov, second round. Andre Palat, seventh round. Just, just a reminder to say. And those are like, those are just some of the the, the picks he's made. There's more. Pretty much every young guy who stepped into Tampa Bay to fill the void because they don't have the cap space to pay someone big. Who is it? Who is it this year? Sorelli was a big Anthony player for them. Sorelli, Yanni Gordy a year ago. This, like, when people say Al Murray's a cream of the crop for uh, scouting, amateur scouting, like, you will be hard-pressed to find a person who would disagree. It's by no means a guarantee. The Verbeek thing was more solid than, than the Murray coming over, and even that wasn't a guarantee until just a few days ago. So there's going to be a lot of interesting questions. In terms of who else goes over, will Sean Horkoff leave Detroit? Will I mean oh, Sean Horkoff? It's not like he has any connections to the Oilers. Edmonton Oilers getting yeah. their old boys back, right? <laughs> there and also, you know, I've heard Chris Draper's name being thrown around, and I, that one actually surprises me because Draper is part of like the more progressive. Him and Horkoff have been part of the more progressive. Let's do new technologies. Let's look at this in new ways. Contingent of the Red Wings, while like Ryan Martin and obviously Ken Holland were a little bit more of the old school way of looking things. So. It there really is it outside of Tyler Wright. I think all of it's just conjecture. No one really knows at this point. If I have to guess, I'd say Wright and maybe one other go. Um, but besides that, I, I it would be hard. It would be guesswork, and I I hesitate to say anything confidently. Yeah, and we're not going to go too much deeper into this because we need off season content. So when that news <laughs> breaks, <laughs> so Verbeek's coming. That's been done. Cool. Um, Wright might be leaving. Holland's going. We've did all. We've done all that. Now let's talk about the other old face in Red Wings hockey rumor. Pavel Datsuk. So we talked about it with Max already about the possi- the odds of him coming back. So let's go into the what if he does come back. Oh, I first want to say this was put out there, and for those of you who aren't familiar with his agent, Darren, Mil- it's Darren Milstein or Dan Milstein. Dan Milstein. Dan Milstein. Dan Milstein. He he's a great agent for players because he gets generate he generates conversation like no one else. And this rumor comes up once a year. And I looked at it and I put no stock into it. Not to say it could never happen, but you know, you don't put stock into that kind of thing. Even like looking at the the logical, you know, what ifs. Uh, but I said, you know, if uh, we had to choose between Vanek or Datsuk, I'd rather take Datsuk. Not saying it would make sense in the roster. Not saying it would make sense, you know, for salary cap. Not saying it would make sense for even how well Datsu could play hockey. It's just a thought in my head. And, you know, gun to my head, I, I would probably do that. But then there was this eruption of people screaming bloody damn murder. Like, their brains exploding. No, this doesn't make sense. I'm like, yeah, I know it doesn't make what? sense. People on social media don't react accordingly? This is Twitter. It's all dumb and fun. Obviously, I don't even think it's going to happen. It's almost definitely not going to happen, right? Yeah, I give it less than a 20% chance. But the fact, but this is the highest it's been in a couple of years. Okay. So that's, that's okay. something. The guy's so the- 40 years old. He's trying 41. to max 41. He's trying to maximize the last bit of dollars he can get out of his next contract, whether it be in Russia or in the United States. So let's do the what ifs. Okay. What so, does this look like for Detroit? So here, if, if he signs, we all know it'll be a one-year contract somewhere between four and six mil. Detroit's not hurting for cap space. Who cares? 
Um, the only way that affects it is if Detroit lands in Eric Carlson, in which case it's a very good problem to have, so I'm not going to complain. Here's the thing. To me, if you take out the the nostalgia factor that Max mentioned, of like, do you really want to see a lesser Pavel Datsuk? If you take that argument out of the equation, there's no good reason to not bring Datsuk back. So a lot of people were freaking out. They're like, he's taking up roster spots. How can you do this? So I actually broke down what Detroit's offense is going to look like next year. He would not be standing in anybody's way unless you are very attached to like uh, Jacob De La Rose. So Uh-oh. is that Jacob? Jacob De La Rose? I don't know. He's Swedish. Uh-oh. That could go either way. Ryan is. You're what? very attached to him. De La Rose? You told me he's your favorite player. Stop making <laughs> You know, we, we, we didn't consider the downsides to getting Evan to be more active on the show. <laughs> it's only a downside to you. Fake news. <laughs> Fake news, man. It's an upside for the listeners. But... I was able to construct the roster without any controversial moves that still had Hiroshi Svechnikov and Rasmussen in there and still had room for Abdelkader Hellman Nielsen's contract. Thank God. Thank God. And still putting Datsuk in there. He is not blocking anybody. Even if you are in the camp, that assumes all of Hiroshi, Rasmussen, and Svechnikov will be ready for full-time duty next year, which, spoiler, they won't. One, maybe two of them will. I mean, Svechnikov's coming off a recons- or a torn ACL. He's almost certainly starting the year in Grand Rapids. Um, he's not blocking anybody. Christopher and Jacob De La Rose are fringe NHLers at best. And even one of them is still going to draw into the lineup. Justin Ablocator and Darren Helm, if... Steve Eisman finds a way to jettison them into the sun because of Datsu coming back. This is a win. The Red Wings are not deep on offense. Zadina is going to comfortably slot into this roster, and two to three of Hiroshi Svechnikov and Rasmussen can comfortably slot in. And God forbid we have to still continue with Helm and Abdelkader's contract because even that works. There's no blockage of spots here because there's not enough quality players to fill them. So the apparently Ken Holland had explored the option a little while back, maybe recently, maybe a, a year or so ago. Um, I don't think Eisman is the kind of guy to even bring Vanek back. So when we're doing these hypotheticals, again, that's just another reason why I think it won't happen. But it's just for the funsies. Yeah, just for the funsies. And like you said, Brad, there's a slew of reasons why this wouldn't be a huge block. Injuries will happen as well. Yeah. He's 42. If you think Pavel Datsuk's playing 82 games, you're dreaming. Um, and just from a, like, it was, it's purely a sentimental thing that wants this to happen from, because from a hockey standpoint, and Max made a great point, I don't want to see a broken down Pavel Datsuk. Because the Pavel Datsuk that we know, even when his ankles would hardly work for him, would dominate on the ice. The Pavel Datsuk that we know made a case over the course of two to three years to be the best player in the world. He hasn't exactly lit the world on fire in the KHL either. Yeah, but he's been near a point-per-game player in the KHL for these years, so it's it's not bad. I think the, the translated stats, so uh, when a player comes over from the KHL to the NHL, this is the their average point totals. He'd still be a 40-50 point guy in Detroit based on his current totals, like closer to 40 than 50, yeah. but that that's still a good third-line center in the NHL, and if if that's what Pavel Datsuk's expected to be in his return to Detroit, 
fine. Throw Zadine on his wing. They get sheltered minutes against weaker competition. While Athanasiu, Larkin, Bertuzzi, Mantha, Nielsen take the harder assignments. Great. This does not seem like a downside to me. As I mentioned when we were talking to Max, if they're bringing in Thomas Vanek and Luke Witkowski for veteran leadership, let's actually bring in one of the most talented, smart hockey players of the last 20 years to mentor Zadina and Athanasiu and Larkin. Uh, like Skill-wise, the most talented hockey player of all time. Like we're talking like puck handling, like oh, magic yeah. on the ice. Yeah, he was, and he was a Selkie candidate and winner multiple times. So if you want to teach Andreas Athanasiu and Philip Zadina defensive responsibility, guess what? Pavel Datsuk is also your man for that. Now, you ask like rational hockey analyst us, should this happen? My answer is no. My answer is yes. Really? Again, there's no shortage of roster spots available. He's the perfect mentor. He's going to come on a one-year contract, and he's probably not going to cost you a lot of money. In a year where the Red Wings are expecting to take at least some step forward, and I'm not saying playoff team, but at least show some quantifiable improvement, yeah, Pavel's the guy you bring in to help facilitate that. So... My answer is no, but I'm not going to fight Brad over it because I don't think it would be a big deal and it would make parts of me happy. Also, if this is a real like real plus side. This is a real silver lining. It would help repair Datsuk's uh, broken relationship with the Illich family, which would uh, remove any impediment to having his number raised in the rafters. And also he's like 40 something games away from a thousand. So that could be a cool silver lining. So for all of you who who screech at us about Cronwall coming back so he can hit a thousand. Here you go. Here you go. You fall on the sword here. (laughs) Datsuk is almost the exact same amount of games away as Cronwall. But, But again, to me, I now the thing that's. Because his name is Pavel Datsuk, people make a bigger deal of this than than they should. This would be no different than any other team bringing in a third liner on a one-year contract. Objectively, it's not a big deal. It doesn't really matter a ton one way or the other. But because it's Pavel Datsuk, people would come back expecting him to be a 60, 70, 80-point player. And if he's anything short of that... Oh my God, it's a disappointment. No, you're bringing in a third-line guy to put up like 30 to 45 points. And if... Dad Suk's your option on that? Yeah, great. That's fine. Now, the story here, is this anything to be screaming about? No. No. So, everyone, chill. Like, this is going to be a season the Red Wings are not going to have a lot to smile about. Like, if we're just being honest, this is not a team that's going to be competitive for a playoff spot in all likelihood. The defense is still a dumpster fire. And whether we want to admit it or not, most rookies come into the league and struggle. So if you're expecting Philip Zadina to put up 30 goals this year, you're going to be sorely disappointed. If you're expecting whoever we pick at sixth overall to make the team, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch Larkin, Athanasiu, Mantha develop and all that stuff. But if Pavel Datsuk clowning a few guys with the puck this year is just another source of entertainment for us, I'm here for it. I need need reasons to be interested in this team last year because from January on, this season, it was dark. It was tough to watch this team. So if Datsuk's just that that extra little reason to get me to flip on the TV every night, even though I already do, yes, fine. I'm going to move us along here because we still do have to do our draft profiles and player profile. Uh, this week's draft profile is probably the prospect who's ranked uh, consistently 
the top prospect for D- by Detroit fans in terms of who might be available, even above Pod Colson, who we did last week. Uh, we're going to talk about Bowen, Bowen Byram, the top-ranked defensive prospect uh, in this upcoming draft. Um, Bowen Byram is uh, out of the WHL. He plays for the Vancouver Giants. Um, he's a really interesting uh, defenseman because he's not getting the same amount of you know hype or... or um, clout or status as uh, Miro Heiskanen or, or Kale McCarr were getting in their draft year. But also, if you redraft that draft, they're going top three with Elias Pettersson. So, um, Bowen Byram is every single Detroit fans, or the majority of Detroit fans' favorite pick. Whether we prefer Turcotte or some people prefer Pod Colson if he falls, no matter what, every time you pull, 70% of your response will be Bowen Byram. Uh Talk to us about. Let's start off with what Bowen Byron brings as a defenseman. He brings the offense. Yeah, <laughs> he brings. So he's a defenseman who's playing in the WHL this year. And just for reference, as a 17-year-old in the WHL, scored 26 goals this year. He was a near 30 goal scorer as a defenseman in his draft minus one. That's nuts. There are almost no defensemen who score 30 goals in the CHL, period. And to do that as a draft eligible in the WHL, the least offense heavy of the three junior leagues in Canada, that's not nothing. And I'm talking about him as a near 30 goal scorer in the dub. He had way more assists than goals. He had, he in 67 games, went 26 goals, 45 assists for 71 points. This guy skates well, shoots well passes well and has great handles with the puck and a high hockey IQ. He should be a top five draft pick. You think, right? So here's the thing. Uh, he was not a late riser, but there's been a lot of chatter about the forwards available in the top 10. Justifiably, they're all fantastic and intriguing prospects. And then they're only, you know, there's only more joining the ranks with Cole Caulfield rocketing up boards. But I'm looking at Bowen Byram. And for those of you who don't know, I played defense. I'm a big staunch supporter of like solid stay at home hockey. Two way defensemen are my favorite. Like if you had to pick a f- your favorite kinds of player, Nicholas Litstrom, who could do everything perfect both ways. So when I see these uh, projections about an offensive defenseman and I, I, I watch his footage, I can't find much to criticize this guy about. If if Bowen Byram is drafted, he, by all rights, has every single tool he needs to be a number one defenseman on a team. He skates phenomenally. And he not only skates phenomenally up the ice, he uses his skating to move the play, whether that's on the power play or joining the rush or what have you. The way he controls the puck and moves laterally or, or, or uses his vision and to, to move the defending around him his skating is truly one of his best tools. His offensive vision is akin to a centerman's, right? Yeah, you, it is. You see the way he'll just like launch up and around the slot through a high danger area just to get people moving and to utilize his teammates around him. All I can think of is Bowen Byram and a winger like Philip Zadina who knows how to find the empty space and move his feet. This guy is a dangerous, dangerous player. You look at the way he moves the puck to the heel of his, his blade to protect it. And he just uses his, his. He's got a big frame. He's not doesn't have a ton of muscle on he's, there. He's not a huge guy. He's I think six feet tall, six foot one, six one. Yeah, six one. But he knows how to protect the puck. Like technically, the pucks. He's not just like skating blindly, like uh, Dylan Larkin in his first year, and, and maybe sometimes losing the puck. Like this guy knows this is one of his biggest tools. His offensive game. There's not enough good things to say, or there's like we could do two hours about good things about that. The first thing I look to is his defensive game. He's responsible. 
He knows Ish. what to do. But you know what? Ish. He's responsible the way you see an, a good offensive defenseman. You see way worse at his age. Yeah. Like Ryan Merkley would be number one example. Yeah, me. I think so. Byram is very guilty of what every 17-year-old offensive defenseman is guilty of. He gets caught cheating. Often. And that is something that can easily be coached out of a player. So even though I can look at that as a negative, it's not something I'm mega concerned about if I'm drafting him. Because there are times he'll get the puck, he'll make that pass, and then he'll just beeline up the wing before his player has it secured before there's an outlet it gets turned over he's in no man's land that's an easy thing to do at a junior level though very when easy to fix cream oh, of the yeah. crop and you know in your right brad when i'm saying he's a, fun, a responsible i'm saying when he's focused on playing defense he's in the right places yeah you know i and we keep saying we hate player comparisons but we keep doing it i'm not saying he will be this player but it reminds me of drew doughty Drew Doughty in the same game, you'll see make incredible defensive plays and also get burned because he was joined up the rush well, too Storm far. Well, Storm Legend, he was at the game the other night. Oh, was he? Or last round? What's that series at? One, I don't know they lost the first one. One nothing Ottawa. Oh, okay. And their goal, their goalie went down. Michael DiPietro's hurt. Whoa. So I'm not going to make the Drew Doughty comparison to Bowen Byram because there's another defenseman in the NHL that I see a lot more sim- lot more similarities to who was almost a Norris finalist this year, so it's a good comparison. When I watch Bowen Byram, I see Morgan Riley. Really? That their skill set is similar. They were better skaters, defensively sound, but not exceptional. Um, great movers of the puck, great nose for offense. I do think Byram's offensive IQ is higher, um, but it's always hard to compare current NHL players to prospects. So I, I do think Byram's ceiling might be a little higher than Riley's, but that's my comparison for him. I I have a lot more faith in his two-way game. Like you said, the way he gets caught is as a product of trying to join trying to join the rush too much. That can be coached out. I think sometimes if he gets beat physically, he's a he's a kid, right? He's 6'1, 190 pounds. There's a lot of muscle to still be put on that frame. He's not a guy who will jump in and be ready the first year, but in my mind, you fill out a frame. He's willing to learn solid defense. The offensive IQ is there. It's, it's going to flourish no matter what. And with the weapons that he'll have on on potentially on Detroit's offense, the more I look at Bowen Byram, the more I have a hard time saying Detroit shouldn't take him no matter who's available on the board. The, th- the thing is, is like he's got very very high level skating. Yeah, and he has very very high level hockey IQ. If you have both of those as a young defenseman, that's a, a potential home run swing when you draft this guy. Like you can teach him the finer points of defense. Like you can already tell his offensive game is is at or near an NHL level. But we all know defensemen take time, so this is not a, a problem. Like give him a year of two years, add some muscle, learn the defensive game of the of pro hockey, and there's no reason why they shouldn't skip on him if he's available at six yes and here's the thing he won't be yeah at no, six no you have to go back to is it 2003 yeah to find a, a top-ranked defenseman who falls past five yeah in detroit's track what did seth six. jones go again four four yeah, yeah. so it, you're if if byram goes i honestly if byram goes past four i'll be surprised if he's at if he's still there at five i'm gonna be having some cold sweats oh yeah, and you know he's going to go fifth. So here's the thing. I don't want to completely crush every Red Wings fan's hope here because here's the here's the catch-22, why he might get to six. Now, 
most teams don't believe in drafting for need. But if you subscribe to the theory that, yeah, Turcotte, Pod Colson, um, whoever else you want to compare them to, they're all pretty similar in skill set. Chicago's got a bigger need at Ford because they have Yoki Haru and, and uh, Brooks, and they've, they've got a pretty decent pipeline of defensemen Boke coming fist. up. Boke fist, yep. Yeah. Colorado, it's Kale McCarr, Samuel Gerrard, a couple Barry. other... Tyson Bear. They're not, their biggest need is not a forward. They have one line on offense and then like literally beer leaguers filling in. Colorado absolutely needs a forward. Exactly. LA, they have a Drew Doughty. They have a couple other young defensemen. And then up front, they have Kopitar. Ilya Kovalchuk, come on. And his band of merry men. And even in their, well, all of LA's farm system's pretty weak right now, but. They yeah. need a forward with some pace. I would argue LA's got a bigger need at forward than defenseman, although they're the most likely candidates to take a defenseman if we're just striking, speaking strictly positionally here. But it's not crazy to think the three teams ahead of Detroit all take a forward because they need a forward. Everybody goes best player available, but maybe... Everyone <laughs> everyone preaches best player available. Until someone picks a, a Kotkin Yemi. I've seen... Right? I've seen a lot of GMs who preach best player available and then they reach for positionally every a time. Barrett Hayton, for example. But but here's the thing. Objectively speaking, if we're just talking about skill sets, impact on the game, ignore position, Byram, Bud Colson, the, the Zegris, difference is negligible. Turcotte, there's not a huge difference here, guys. No. So if you're like, because that's why the big debate in my mind is if we're sitting there at six and Byram and Turcotte are available, I don't know who I pick because it's a pretty big need in both positions for Detroit. They need a center. They need a defenseman. So to me, that would come down to we just a- whoever I think the best player is. I guess it really comes down to how do they evaluate the young forwards that they have and the ones that are coming up through the system, such as Zadina. If they feel very high on them, I definitely think we need to take a swing at someone who could be a, a number one defenseman. There's going to be more on this. Next week, we'll do another interesting one. Or next episode, we'll do another interesting one. Uh, let's do our next Red Wings player profile. So we did Larkin last week, which was the easy one. We said we're going to start with centers. Now, I, it's for, for the reference, I don't know who Ryan's about to say it, so this is going to be fun. Well, Detroit's, and you're all going to cringe here, but Detroit's on their depth chart, number two center, if you're looking at their actual positions, Franz Nielsen. Ew. <laughs> Ew? Yeah. Um, Ew. Franz Nielsen... He had a streak of points and, and has had flashes. I'm not going to call him, you know, absolutely. I'm not going to chide his contract like I do abdicators. It will be just as bad down the road in my mind. Um, you, some of you might be saying, no, Athens see you. We'll do Athens see you later. I've, I have some opinions on that one as to whether he should be a center or a winger. Uh, but Franz Nielsen, this past year, I, I think we saw big waves of what is this guy doing? I, I think this was the most aggressive drop-off I've seen in his play since, you know, and I've been watching for a while. Everyone liked him when he was on the Islanders. He doesn't seem to be a guy who can thrive on a team without talent around him. Correct. His point total went up this year, despite playing less games. Well, he had uh, he had a crazy stretch. Yeah, he had, because uh, in 16-17, or 17-18, sorry, he finished 33 points in 79 games. This past oh. season was 35-72. and 72. Oh. So... Here's where I'm going to differ from you. 
I think his contract is already egregious and it burned it on this team. Uh, I, I like Franz Nielsen as a player. Same. Uh, if he was getting one-year contract after one-year contract. If he was getting the Thomas Vanek treatment. If he was getting the Thomas Vanek treatment to be our third, or Detroit's third or maybe fourth-line center, I would say that'd be a great fit for this team right now. Oh, yeah. he The guy, he's a smart hockey player who, despite what I just said, does adapt his game and play to his strengths as much as he can. I think he is a... Uh, He's one of those victims of overutilization by Detroit's management and coaching. Um, they view his pedigree and think, yeah, he should be our first line power player out on the empty net kind of thing. Um, he almost is by default, though. There's not a lot of other candidates. And that's there. exactly it. <laughs> but that the fact that he is by default doesn't make him as a player better. So I think he's exposed too often. Uh, when they had him, it was Zadina was with him and Vanek. Uh, oh, Athanasiu no. for a run there. No, no, no. Like the especially bad line that he was on. It was, I think, Vanek and Nielsen, and it was bad. Yeah. Because oh, yeah, yeah. The third line before he got bumped up to Athanasiu's yeah, line with Helm. I remember that. Yep. Nielsen and Vanek both legitimately could not keep up, and Zadina was like holding himself back and was just skating circles around them. They could not move. So th- situations like that is where it. Re- I really do cringe with Nielsen. The positives though. Really intelligent guy, really well liked in the locker room. Kill me, uh, but for saying that, but he really well liked in the locker room. Does bring that veteran presence and is still, you know, contract aside as a hockey player, can offer good things on the ice, especially in a third or fourth line role. The negatives is like Brad just said, he won't be utilized in a third or fourth line role, at it's, least not for some time. It's so it's just too hard to look past his contract. It is, and he could be put if he was one of mega points. Be like, okay, this is okay. Oh, he's got uh, three more years. Yeah, he's, he's got, got three more years. 30 points both seasons. Or last two seasons. It's tough. It's really tough to overlook a contract. So he... <laughs> okay. This is just a complete aside, but I just... You know you think... You know things are bad, but then you just see something in front of you that puts it in perspective. The Red Wings' second, third, and fourth highest paid forwards right now are Franz Nielsen, Justin Ablocator, and Darren Helm. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> So the someone put one of the big names put out a tweet. I can't remember. It might have been Rashog. They said, "Has anyone actually looked at Ken Holland's contracts over the past five years?" And I was like, "Yeah, a couple times, <laughs> once or a, twice in passing, just a little bit." <laughs> this Franz Nielsen one—that's a wolf. He's got three more years. He's thirty-five years old right now. I don't know when his birthday is, but he'll be thirty-eight or thirty-nine by the end of that contract. He's already only putting up thirty-five-ish points. He's one season away from being a very popular buyout candidate. If there are compliance buyouts in this next expansion, and it's not used on Abdulkader or Nielsen, man, they are not buying out Abdulkader. Oh, Eisenman Eis- oh. would. Oh, I, yeah, Eisenman. Yeah, yeah. It's a brand new world, Evan. Uh. <laughs> Looking back to the last time there was compliance buyouts in Detroit, I believe they used them on. Stephen what? No, he just got straight he, up, he bought got up bought out. Did they use them? They used them, but they used them on like uh, one was uh, the the defenseman who was Carlo Koliakovo. They yeah, bought, they we combined. had to buy out Carlo Koliakovo. But oh they were such low number God. contracts where I was screaming from the rooftops to buy out Erickson at that point. But I don't think the Abdulkader contracts existed then, did they? They did not. Yeah, so the Abdulkader Nielsen contracts didn't exist, but if that situation comes up again and the league gets two compliance buyouts, oh boy, I will mail the letters myself. Which sucks to say, because do I like Nielsen as a hockey player? Yeah. 
Can he offer something to a team that's going to be chock full of young guys soon? And say Abdulkader wasn't on this team, would this be a much uh, smaller deal? Absolutely. But hey, the reality of it is... Being bought out is not the worst thing. You, if you get another contract, you're getting paid twice. Yeah, but it's the worst thing if you're the team and yeah. you're trying to construct yeah. a cap. Actually, isn't the most uh, the NHL player who's accumulated the most dollars from contracts in their NHL life is Vinny LeCavalier? Yeah, because he was on like at he least had two one huge buyout. buyouts. Yeah, and who bought him out? Steve Eiserman. Steve Eiserman had the brass to walk in there and buy out the well, face of that franchise. Oh, damn it. We can do it with the face of our franchise, too. Justin Applicator. Yep. <laughs> uh, I feel bad glossing over so much of Nielsen's game, but there really isn't much else, right? He's, like, he's the dry toast of a hockey player. There's nothing exceptionally good or bad about him. He's an all right skater, pretty good passer, responsible defensively. Has an all right nose for the net as a third liner. He's not very good at any of those things, but he's not very bad at them either. He's just kind of a a spot filler. Again, so if he was on one or two year contracts making two, three million dollars a year, that's fine. You need you need players like that in your lineup. That's just how the salary cap era works. You just don't pay them five point two five million dollars. Now, there are a lot of other important pieces of news, um, but we are running short on time, and I don't want to do those pieces of news uh, any injustice. So maybe in our midweek episode, we'll get to other stuff. For now, let's head over to Patreon, uh, or Overtime, which of course is brought to you by your Patreon supporters. Uh, All of their comments are read out on air, guaranteed as our way of saying thanks. Also, congratulations, uh, Clayton Van Dyken. Uh, was the winner of our jersey giveaway because we reached our most recent uh, Patreon supporter goal. So uh, Clay will be getting a... He chose a home Dylan Larkin jersey and he chose to put the C on it. Oh, yeah, ballsy. You, you have to pick and you know what? He did it. Um, so we are going to start out... Oh boy, a lot of comments after the Holland news. Uh, we will start out even more to load. This has taken a while. We'll start off with Silver. Says, hey guys, I finally became a patron after getting my first real job this week. Yeehaw. Hey, congratulations, Silver, and thank you for joining the Dub Dub family. Um, I don't have any real questions, so what's your opinion on ASMR? I think it's creepy for the record. Weird. Super weird. Uh, you know, I understand to people who like it, but I think the sexualization of it has just... Ooh, it gives me the Wait, sexualization of it? What? Oh, oh man. yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, don't search... ASMR on YouTube. Yeah, because I was I was always that guy. Like, if I had trouble sleeping years and years ago, I would find the most boring video on YouTube I could, and it would help. But it was never actual ASMR. No. And then actual ASMR became a thing. And then I saw all these weird girls with their faces three inches from the camera whispering, and it made me uncomfortable. Oh yeah. (laughs) Uh, Mark Burnham says this might be an unpopular opinion, but I love the Canes third jersey with the hurricane warning flags on a hockey stick. Oh. If anyone disagrees, they're better than the regular ones. I wish they had their. I wish those jerseys had their actual logo, though. The whole kit looks great. What are some unpopular hockey opinions you guys have? Unpopular uh, hockey opinions? Oh God, ask our the listeners. There's I've given enough. Rowan, yeah, Rowan would have a a lot of great answers to this. Um, I'll have to think about it. I know there's some. There's some like really popular jerseys that I don't like. Um, unpopular hockey opinions. That could go so many ways. Uh, my unpopular hockey opinion that people always dump on me for not that he wasn't great but Marty Broder is not a top 5 goalie for me uh, he was saying jerseys oh jer- just straight on jerseys yeah uh, 
Oh, I got. Oh no, tons. he said hockey. Yeah, he said hockey. I was gonna say Marty's not top five for you. Not top five. That is unpopular. Uh, do you guys know anything about Eisman's activities at the league GM meetings? What sorts of things has he supported, and what does he push for future of the game? He supports a hot bar versus a charcuterie board. Yeah, Big I, fan. Eisman hasn't been terribly vocal at those things. Um, he he isn't a like complete introvert, but he does recognize that he is still newer to the scene and kind of focuses more on what's happening like he focuses on the job in front of him he stepped away from be- being gm of the uh, of hockey canada for the olympic teams because it was just too much of a distraction so you remember that episode of the simpsons where the yakuza were fighting on the simpsons front lawn and marge was bringing homer inside and there's the homer's like i don't want to go inside that little guy over there's just been standing there and he hasn't done anything so you know he's about to do something cool that's Steve Eiserman. He just hasn't done the cool thing yet. Uh, you guys were talking about rink sizes a bit in the midweek episode. I played in the community league at the University of Illinois rink last fall, and that rink is 192 feet by 115 feet. It was super weird. I played D and don't care to admit how many times I got burned on the outside. I'm also not very good, so that didn't help. Uh, now, an important qu- I need you to weigh in on an important question. Tennis balls, green or yellow? Yellow. Oh my god, I've never thought about it. No, the, his, I've always viewed him as green. Didn't the tennis association come out with a definitive verdict on this? I thought they did. I thought they said they were always, yellow. Like I just green was the first thing that popped into my head. I so. think they're green yellow. I think they're yellow. They're a green shade they're of yellow. They're tennis ball color. Yes. John Schultz says hello, friends. With it being 2019, what's the protocol on putting a retired number on a draft jersey? I'm not sure how I feel about seeing a 19 on anyone other than the captain now that he's back. If he's the one handing over the jersey, somehow that bothers me less. Thoughts? I think they just do it. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah. You gotta keep the continuity of it has to be con- uh, continued. Uh, finally, Noah's customer and Noah is John's son. Noah, the goalie, future starting goaltender of the Detroit Red Wings, uh, finally got his uh, Jimmy Howard All Star jersey in the mail, uh, which they purchased at the end of season meetup. And man, is it sweet! How do you guys feel about the color black somewhere in the palette of our alternate if we get one? Only if it's all black. Stealth black. Yeah. Hard no. Uh, black is not a Red Wings color. It No. If it's like an accent on something, kind of like the silver on the Centennial jerseys, okay, but it's not a Red Wings color. Unpopular jersey opinion, black outlines are used too much. I Be agree. bold with your colors. Look at what Calgary's yeah. alternates. Do that. Stop with the black outlines. Yeah, I agree. Wholeheartedly. Make your team's colors pop. Joseph D'Elia, who I believe is a new patron. Yes. Uh, hey, guys. Newish to the pod and recent patron. Welcome to the Dub Dub family. Uh, don't know where to start, uh, where to ask my overtime question. You're in the right place. Uh, if Turcotte or Byram somehow slipped to Detroit, what's the possibility that they take Doc over them? Thanks. That's a great question. Really high, and it's going to kill me. Yeah. The, every read on every like amateur scouting team that I've seen, everyone is really high on Doc. It seems to be more in like the commentary community that he's been slipping. I, I do think a lot of scouts really love Doc, and so I don't know what Eisman's read is on that. I know that the Tyler Wrights and Ryan Martins of Detroit will definitely value Doc really high. I know Draper thinks highly of him, so it's not it's definitely not low. And this is why I'm not a scout, because I don't see what they're seeing. I see a good first-round prospect. I, I probably have Kirby Doc in my, like, 10 range, but he's not an elite prospect and he always keeps saying skill and speed and i don't know if he fits those well, two he, at an elite level he has one of those things yeah uh jeff chen says hey fellas i'm sure you'll be touching on this in the cast but i'm wondering with the release of offer sheet rules oh yeah they updated the values yeah we need to give mitch marner what is it a 9.3 million dollar contract 
to uh, get the, yeah. to get out of the four not, first not rounds. Not the four first, anything but that. If we offer Marner something in the range of only costing us two first rounders, would that not be worth it? Oh hell yeah! But it would be matched instantly. Yeah, hundred percent. Because uh, that's ridiculously cheap for Mitch Marner. That you'd also the, have to accept oh, the offer. I just want to jump in and say Jeff Vayette on Twitter put it on FaceoffCircle.ca, I believe it is, put out a phenomenal article on the Marner negotiations. I walked away from that thinking, yeah, I was wrong because I, I had Marner in the 10 plus range and you look at every direct comparable in every single way, he should not be making more than 9.5. Really? I disagree because of how the game is trending that you can't quantify. By his numbers, 9.17, I think it was. This is true, but the one thing that that article didn't factor in because I also read it, Ryan, Yeah, is that the NHL forever tried to keep everything as balanced as possible, whereas now it's going to a superstar-driven league where the superstars are getting paid a higher percentage of the cap, whereas the grind uh, team, successful teams are basically just throwing ELCs and nobodies into the bottom of the roster to be able to have that cap flexibility to give the top players more money to keep them. So factoring that in, that probably adds at least a mill to Marner's contract. Argument for another day. Um, that and the addition of a superstar free agent, and I feel like this would be enough to put us back into instant contention. Also, I know it's been said that Abdulkader's contract is unmovable, but I've been going through some scenarios in my head, and what if we trade him and, say, one of our seconds to cap floor team like Ottawa? Ottawa's in a rebuild, and they'll not have any meaningful seasons to come. They'll need roster players to and cap to get to the floor. Is this a possibility, maybe even a combination of a second-round pick and a prospect? So, is it possible? Sure, but here's the thing. There's lots of bad contracts to go around right now, so Ottawa's not going to take one that's got four or five years left on it. They they could absolutely take a Darren Helm, a Franz Nielsen, because, yeah, that that's a reasonable term to eat, but even the worst teams in the league generally feel like they can compete in three years. Yeah, Abdulkader's is probably the second worst behind Lucic's in my mind. Yeah, so it's up there. Chris Canal says, just started watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine this week, and I love it. Holtz is definitely Stevie. Hitchcock is Abby. Peralta is totally Larkin. Not quite sure who Boyle would be on the wings. Now for hockey, with Verbeek coming in, what does this mean for Draper? Thanks for the hard work, as always, boys. So excited to see the growth you guys have been getting. Thank you, Chris. That means a lot. Thank you all on that note. Like, thank you. Um, one thing I, I we should say is that there's no cap or limit to the amount of... Uh, personnel or money being spent on management so it doesn't necessarily mean anything to to draper again this is a lot more obfuscated so it'll be kind of cleared up in the weeks to come i imagine uh but for now there's no indication that he's definitely going to go anywhere uh rowan says week three of the eyes rain and the red wings remain undefeated i still feel sorry for all these teams in the playoffs because they have a zero percent chance of getting a steve eisman to run their team the facts don't lie he has the receipts Going off topic this week, what's the worst injury you've had from playing a sport? Uh, I have a rotated pelvis and two twisted vertebrae from hockey. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. It hurts a lot. Ugh. I suffered a severe, severe concussion. Um, after the game, I lost all my memory of the week leading up to the game. Yeah, he's still recovering from that. <laughs> that was 10 years ago. <laughs> um, I dislocated my ankle and it was stuck. Perpendicular. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, Jersey time, sacrilege version. You can make one change to the Wings' current home and or away jersey. Are you doing it? And if so, what is it? Yes, I'm getting rid of that god-awful collar from the Adidas jerseys. I hate... It's fine on the reds, but on the whites with the red... No, get rid of it. That's what I change. Really controversial take there, Ryan. Well, you know what? I'm passionate. Um, hmm. I Yeah, the, the homes I'm not changing. 
the roads. I'm also not changing. <laughs> They're I love the jerseys. They're the arguably the best hockey jerseys of all time. You don't if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Although my controversial take is I'm fully on board for a third jersey here. So yeah, you know what? That is, that actually is controversial. Let's just put Al the Octopus. Oh yeah. Oh my God, purple third jersey. Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, Adam Flat <laughs> says no black, but I'm I'm here for purple. You make him look mean like the Kraken or something. Oh yeah. Adam Flett says, good morning, uh, Dub Dub crew. All the talk of Steve Eisenman bringing in his own crew makes perfect sense, but is their head scout that much of an upgrade on what we have? Yes. Um, no, Detroit scouting's top tier of the league. Is it an upgrade? Yes. Is it a significant upgrade? Not that much. I don't want, the, and thank you for correcting me, Brad, because I don't want that to be a shot at the Red Wing scouting. I am a big believer in what they've done. But Al Murray, look at that track record, and he's been successful in this generation. Yes, that's like saying... Who would you rather have, Connor McDavid or Dylan Larkin? I'm going to take Connor McDavid. I'm still happy with Dylan Larkin. Absolutely. Uh, wondered if you've done a deep dive with the picks made in the draft while they were the top scouts in their respective clubs. I'm guessing, I'm wondering, is Tyler Wright needing to be replaced? Needing to be replaced? No. He's made a few picks that have made me scratch my head thoroughly, but... but every team has. Every team does. Even even if you look at Tampa Bay's track record of first-round picks over the last decade, it's not outstanding. Uh, and he says, thank you for the podcast and hope you're enjoying Game of Thrones. Joe Fournier says, end game, end game, end game. I agree. Yes. Uh, Hassam Al-Kassem says, do you guys think Holland planned to leave Detroit all along and that's why he brought Eisman back? Regardless, Kenny is a great guy and I hope he does this one more good thing and takes Abby with him. No, I think he had every intention on staying and then someone offered him $25 million. Yeah, I, I think if Holland was given the choice, he would be the GM of the Red Wings right now. That's yeah. about how much money it takes to live in Edmonton. Uh, Garrett TV says, not sure if this will end up a question, but I'm happy if the rumors are true that Kenny's moving along. I was never comfortable with him in a senior management role as I've seen too many times where that make it harder for orga- where that makes it harder for organizations to turn a page and move forward. Yes, he's a great hockey guy, but there are many out there. Eisenman is no spring chicken at this point. I guess my question is, besides the faith-based assumption that Kenny was somehow the right senior manager, if he's leaving to be a GM, clearly he was not, what concrete hockey advantages was there to keeping him around? How could we have assumed that he'd only maintain the good characteristics as a manager and left the ones uh, behind that we didn't like? Uh, I'd rather have one GM than two, and I think him leaving uh, for elsewhere is best. I always thought him being a senior to Stevie's general manager role was false hope for change. Hashtag Arya Mother Stark. Um, I agree completely. There's no way that you can assume that he would have kept his good habits and left his bad ones behind. Uh, my hope was that if he stayed on, Eisenman would just say, okay, thank you for your input and just do what Eisman wanted to do, which is kind of the way he likes to do things. Um, you're, you're, you've hit the nail on the head. You can be uncomfortable with it. I think that's fair. Um, and I do think that this truly is Eisman's team now. And I see that as an advantage. Do I, am I sentimental about him leaving? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but is this better purely objectively like hockey operations standpoint from an Eisman point of view? Yeah. Uh, that's the way I view it. And, do you, you'd be naive to say it would be only good or only bad things with Holland in that situation. I don't know if you guys have a different opinion. You don't. We don't know, so we can't know, so I don't have a strong opinion. Uh, Graham slash Murdoch Hockey on Twitter says, finally signed up to be a patron. Thank you so much, Graham. We appreciate your support, and uh, welcome to the Dub Dub family. It says, looks like there are some larger changes coming for the front office than first expected. A change uh, will likely be a good thing. Wish Holland all the best in Edmonton if that's where he ends up. Who do you think he takes with him? I'd hope that Yuri Fisher stays. Hashtag let's go Red Wings. Hashtag you'll never walk alone. 
Liverpool. Oh God, please Leicester City, please, <laughs> please at least draw Man City. Um, who do I? I think Tyler Wright goes with him. Um, I know Max doesn't think Martin will go, but I I I think Martin aligns a lot more with Holland than anyone else. So I don't know. I have a hard time thinking of it. What do you guys think? He's gonna require money to also live in Edmonton. Yeah, that's a big over. It's okay. Michigan's not Florida, but you know, Michigan. There's Michigan's beautiful. Have you seen? You know, in uh, Game of Thrones, where they go past the wall. Mm-hmm. Edmonton is about five hours north of that. <laughs> um, we have time for the, some, the wall is somewhere near Moose Jaw. Yeah, we have time for some Reddit questions. Coltron fifty seven says, after seeing Teravainen have a solid playoffs through two rounds, I'm really wanting to take uh, an expiring contract to help a team out in order to acquire an asset for taking on said contract. Which player would you guys be interested in interested in trading for, and what fits that bill, and who fits that bill? I think Callahan in, in Tampa Bay is a great prospect for that. It's been brought up a few times. Yeah, give us Ryan Callahan, and we will take Taylor Radish. Thank you. Now, keep in mind, the contract that Carolina took on to get Terrifying in was Dave Bolin's, I believe, right? And he had multiple years left. So it, that's not the type of contract Detroit's going to get back or want to take, which means they're not going to get a prospect like Terrifying in, in return. Um, Wing Squigger says, "Happy May the Fourth." Which Red Wings pro- pro- or which Red Wings past or present do you think are Anakin, Obi Wan, Luke, Han, and Chewie? Anakin is Sergey Fedorov. I can't answer this. Yeah, oh. me neither. The only hairy person I can think of is Wachowski. Chewie's Wachowski. Han is Steve Eisenman. Uh, Luke is Henrik Zetterberg. Okay, yeah, I've never seen Star Wars, so I can't. White Lightning 91 says, once and for all, gun to your head. Oh, boy. I've started a trend. Uh, You're in a room with every breed of dog. Hypothetically, there's no difference between any dog. Health, lifespan, personality, temperament, daily exercise, and shedding is equal across the board. You can choose one dog, and all the others will be put down. Oh, my God. I don't want to answer this. I want all of it. I'll adopt them all. Uh, If none of them are different, why does it matter which one you pick? I don't understand. Is this just an aesthetic question? Yeah, an aesthetic question. What's the cutest dog? I don't know. Uh, for me to be a boxer or a bulldog. I think bulldogs are hilarious. I don't... German Shepherd, I guess? I don't know. Tamaskan. A Tamaskan Husky. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. I'm Evan. sad. Can I die instead of the dogs? I don't want the... <laughs> we uh, sacrificed Ryan and saved every breed of dog. Uh, Ando772 says, so what's happening in the office and starting to filter its way down? Has a rebuild been cut in half and will we see success sooner? Cheers. Cut in half? God, no. Uh, trending firmly in the right direction? Hopefully. It's just, at least allowed to do that now. Yeah, I, I don't expect the Warriors to be good this year, but the season after, there's hope. Anthony Panther says management seems to be keen on having a veteran presence. So let's say you have to pick someone over 30 to put on this roster from another team. Who oh, from pick? another team. I, say, I have an yeah. answer there. This question doesn't factor in contract length, salary, just strictly the player. He thinks Duncan Keith, the def- definition of the wings, work your way up model. Hold on, I got to figure out the age of someone here. Uh, over 30. Duncan Keith is actually a great answer for that. I think a rock solid defenseman. No, yeah, Duncan Keith. So we can teach everybody how to be suspended accurately. <laughs> yeah, I mean, top one hundred player of all time, Duncan Keith. Okay, so my answer is going to be Eric Carlson in one year and one month. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and with that, we are going to wrap up this week's podcast. Uh, I have to run, but first I want to thank all of our patrons, all of our name-level sponsors. Thank you all so much, and once this loads, I'll read off your names. 
Uh, we want to thank Sky Carcass, Luke, Arjun Shanker, Clayton Van Dyken, Mike Reed, Langabeer, Kalen Wood, Charlie Elkins, Rob Thiel, Stan Olson, Ryan Alant, Ryan Lewis, Dan Bell, Hannah Lee. Guys, thank you all so much. We just did our jersey giveaway. Uh, we just did some shirt giveaways. Uh, we're going to have way more stuff coming up soon. There's still a lot of exciting content between now and the draft. We're not going away. Uh, we'll see you in the middle of this week. And, uh, well, farewell, Kenny. Detroit will always be home. for tuning in to the winged wheel podcast be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on itunes spotify or wherever you get your podcasts you'll also find links to other ways to support the show such as patreon official podcast apparel and more and don't forget to follow the show on twitter at winged wheel pod and of course the hosts at brad crisco at ryan hannah wwp and at hockey town evan